G'day, Magpie Army, and welcome to the round five episode of Inside Sweep, the podcast that now has a name that's here to stay. I'm Adam McNichol, Head of Digital Content here at Collingwood, and I'm joined firstly by Stephen Riley, GM of Media and PR. Riles, welcome. Thank you, McNick. Welcome, Wags. Also in the studio is Marcus Wagner, our Performance and Strategy Manager, Vargs. How are you going, old fella? Hello, Adam. Riles off to a flyer as always, so... Good luck to him. He's done it again. He plays his own game, Riles. You know that. (laughs) Now, first topic for today is the state of the game. Gentlemen, there's been plenty said about the low scoring, rather dour nature of a lot of the football since the resumption. What do we need to do about it? Do we need to change the rules? Riles, do you want to go first? Well, uh, in, in my opinion, no, but I was fascinated by... The um, Gil McLaughlin coming out and talking about the fixture earlier this week and in passing mentioning that he thought the game was uh, in good shape and that uh, he contested some of the ideas that Alistair Clarkson had put forward a day or two earlier. I think it was the night before after the Hawthorne match. And um, lo and behold, we've got rule changes, Wags. So I'm not quite sure whether Gil is... Um, is he... Is he uh, uh, does he like the game or is he figures it needs some tinkering? Well, it's not, not quite a rule change, but I think there's going to be a change of interpretation. So we got a memo from the AFL updating us on the prior opportunity rule. So there's going to be a tightening of the interpretation. So fundamentally, if you have no prior opportunity and you get tackled, but you're not making a genuine attempt to get rid of the ball or you're not fighting the tackle enough, they will ping you. So we got a few video examples which we went through with the players this morning. Some of them had a bit of a chuckle because it's a, it's a big fundamental change to how the game's played. Um, but fundamentally, if you go hard and win the ball and you get a perfectly tackled and you can't do anything or it seemed like you're not trying to make enough of an attempt to get it out, you'll get pinged. So like anything, when we get the memo from the AFL, there will be a massive overcorrection this week. You'll see a truckload of holding the balls paid. Um, but it might just speed the game up a little bit. But that's that's one of the uh, the areas of the game that's been spoken to a lot this week is the prior opportunity. And I think uh, one of one good idea I think came out of it, which I'm I'm support of supportive of, is the the team prior opportunity. I think that's got some merit because mm. it doesn't fundamentally what will happen is the ball winner can still go and win the footy, and if they get tied up, uh, they won't get penalised. But if they win the ball and then handball to a teammate. That takes away your prior opportunity. It makes it really easy to officiate. Um, it takes away, I guess, that that want to tie that second possession up. So I think that mm. that's got real merit. I think anything that's easy to officiate is going to make the game better, and that will definitely speed it up. So I think that team prior opportunity has mm. got got real merit, and I think that's one they should definitely trial at, at some point. So the the idea being that coaches teams are playing to coaching congestion. That, that second possession is the one they want to shut down. Um, so you say you would take that away and you either get it, you either bat a ball up straight away or it's going to end up being a free tick or you're, all the ball's released. Correct. Yeah. I think that's the, the first, the key part of the game, like the DNA of footy is to go and win your own ball. So mm. if you ping the first guy going for the ball, I think that wrecks the DNA of football. You've mm. got to reward the ball winner, the initial ball winner. So when the ball's in a contest, reward the guy who goes and wins the ball by not... Mm making him penalised for, for winning the ball by getting a good tackle. If he wins it and then feeds it out, that's when I think you can start being much harsher on holding the ball. 
particularly if you get into handball chains, if you have three or four handball chains back into congestion, you get done. Your prior opportunity should be gone. It should be holding the ball, turnover, back the other way. But you can't take away the ball winner's capacity to go and hunt the ball. Because yeah. you do that, the game becomes different because what will happen then is players will just sit on the guy waiting for him to win the ball, tackle him, holding the ball. That's It's going to be ugly because all these outside players will just sit behind the ball winner, wrap them up, holding the ball. So guys like your Selwoods of the world will will be penalised for doing what they do best. Yeah, so yeah. I think we still got to reward the ball winner um, but take away that the kind of those over overplayed handball chains, um, mm. handballing back into congestion, take that away by by pinging them with the with the team prior opportunity. I think that's mm. that should be trialled and I reckon you'll get some really good um, impact from that. I reckon it was Chris Judd in his uh, autobiography where he talked about coming into the game and in his first few years being able to take possession and break away from the contest because it – and then – quite quickly and they realised he was very hard to stop allowing him to play like that, that they would allow him to go to the contest but also ring the contest with, with a, a, second def- a, a second opponent. And so he, he didn't have to get through one, he had to get through two in order to, And so gradually his ability to break away was diminished and he said it transformed his game. In the end he had to become basically an inside beast rather than an explosive breakaway player. And it was because the way it was, he was coached against but more, I suppose, more broadly the way the game started to become. And you know, I suppose you're talking about that, that second, that, that ring around the contest that says, well, you can take possession and if you're good enough to get it out, you st- we're still going to get you. Yeah, but that's where the receivers all can't be flat-footed. Mm. And that's where you get you'll generate momentum in the game because to hit a receiver, they've got to be on the move. Otherwise, they'll just be sitting ducks. So I think you'll get players at speed running to receive and that's where they'll be able to break free of that congestion. And that's what everyone wants is everyone being able to break free of congestion. So I think, yeah, let's have a look at it. Mm. There's no harm. Um, team, team prior. Team prior opportunity, tick. Okay. Well, let's see if it's uh, – do you think you'll get it up? Stop me, Riles. Uh, the, the masses, the masses seem to be be liking. I, I like anything that doesn't change the fabric of the game, and I don't yeah. think that changes the fabric of the game. Bit of discussion around sixteen v sixteen as well. What yes. are your thoughts there? Well, Chris Scott put that on the agenda last weekend. The thing we're getting now is great evidence about sixteen v sixteen because all the practice games we're playing at the moment, mm. due to limited numbers, I, I have been sixteen v sixteen. Um, the games have been awesome, awesome to watch. Um, I think the guys are – it's half, like half the players putting their hands up to play in for senior selection, so the quality of the games is really good. Mm. They're purely AFL players playing, so that, that raises the standard as well. Um, but we're seeing some fantastic games of footy and some, some fantastic chains of footy, and what we're seeing is the scoring rate go up in 16 v 16. Um, but I think the other thing – that's been a bit of a trend this year is the decline of the key forward and that's not happening with 16 v 16. Just for example, Darcy Cameron, Will Kelly, our two, two key forwards in the practice game last week, 24 marks between them, had multiple shots on goal. They, they were tearing it up. They got a bit more space to work in. Yeah. Um, so most, most teams were playing uh, five forwards, five defenders and still your two wingers and ruck and three mids. But there is just a truckload more space. Um, and watching the games, either in the stands or at ground level, you wouldn't even know they're 16 v 16. Uh, like unless mm. you actually sat back and counted the players out on the ground, you wouldn't know it's 16 v 16 apart from the fact that it's a bit more 
fluent the ball use and yeah. there's a bit more space. So again, doesn't change the fabric of the game. It changes how you name it in the paper, which might irk a few people and change changes tradition of eighteen v eighteen. Yeah. But watching the game, watching on TV, you wouldn't have the slightest idea that they're sixteen v sixteen. Watching at the ground you'd have no idea unless you really, really honed in on counting the players. Yeah. But yeah. what you would see is a game with much more fluency due to the, the lack of congestion. You'll see forwards getting out more. You'll see more one-on-one -on -one contests. Um, and you'll be able to see players' strengths shine a bit more because they're in those one-on-one -on -one battles a bit more. So I've been really impressed by the 16v16 and I think it's got real merit. I was, mm. I was so anti it <laughs> early because I'm a bit of a footy nuffy and I was of that belief of 18v18s um, well, why change it? And I think I thought the game would take care of itself. But now seeing multiple weeks of mm. it in action, I think it's got real merit. And I think that the knock-on effect to that is if list sizes come down, which we anticipate may happen over the next two, three years, this gives you that buffer that you need to be able to play the game and have, have enough players available. I wouldn't bring more interchange in. It would be 16 and 4 on the bench. But I think this 16 v 16 is a definite mm. watch this space. But... It's going to rattle a few cages down at headquarters because they are they are traditionalists. They're quite conservative, so that would be a big uh, a big shift. But that's one they don't need evidence because they're getting all the evidence they need from our practice game. So, look, I know it was another time, but there was a competition in Victoria known as the VFA way back when, and it was a sixteen v sixteen aside competition. Now I know the game was played in a more stationary way back then. But we do have actual evidence of what it was like. They took basically, I think, wingmen were taken out. Um, I could imagine in the modern day today, if we went 16 v 16, uh, apart from space at either end, I think the the endurance players who would have to be floating up and down between the arcs in so much space, being able to get the ball to and fro, um, well, endurance might become uh, a, a prized or at a premium as well in a way that. Uh, Perhaps it isn't quite at the moment with the shortened quarters and and uh, and the high rotations. I think you'll get a, a, be a better balance of athlete mm. if you have 16 v 16. I think the wingers are, are the most pivotal transitional players now. They they connect your back half with your front half. They run all day, so they're they're pivotal in the modern game. But with more space, that's where they flourish because they can outwork their opponent to get the space and still connect. So um, I think. Again, another tick from what I've seen, mm. and that's that's changed my opinions from watching these games, these practice games um, we've been playing. So I think it's, and we're we're playing those practice games on AFL venues. So we're actually getting they're not on postage stamp AFL venues; they're actually proper AFL venues. So great sample size to to analyse. And I think, given we're looking to ways to get costs out of the game, mm -hmm. this might be a way. There's two less match payments you have to pay a week. Um, so there's ways to save money without penalising the players, except potentially the, the reduction in list size. So again, it's not a fabric changer. It's a traditionalist worst nightmare, but I think another tick for 16 v 16. And aesthetically, it would change. Doesn't change the spectacle for the fan. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, unless they're trying to look for something, yep. they're, they're not going to notice it. So you couldn't argue that that the game is to the eye. Uh, let alone to the way it's been played, yep. to the eye is is uh, materially different. No one on TV would have the slightest that there's 16 players out there. Yeah, yeah. Very good for me, Wags. Yeah, there, there was a couple more there, Riles. I probably won't. Well, we, do we do we leave it at that? I mean, we're going to talk a bit about the bonus point, but I think you'll shelve that pretty quickly. Yeah, I don't buy bonus point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought, again, I was big on this a few years by you. Just, just again, not not being able to change 
how the game's played, but incentivise scoring. But that's just going to be too hard given the you've got one indoor stadium. And as soon as you've got an indoor stadium with different playing field, that's not going to work. So mm. probably put a line through bonus point. But the idea of incentivising scoring somehow to, mm. to just stimulate the game, get it going, was the, was the premise behind it. But I think it's got to be an evil, equal playing field wherever you play. So, yeah, maybe that's a cross Riles. Well, or there might be other ways to incentivise scoring and it might be, you know, um, I'm loath to use this expression, but AFLX, um, where you have nine points opportunities. I mean, netball has just embraced this idea, for instance, about trying to encourage more scoring and allow teams to, to close the gaps when in a game that's very hard to do that. And they've offered a sort of a, a two-goal um, zone in there. And I'm not advocating that at all, but... But if you needed, you were in a hurry to, or you needed to pull back a game that was out of your control quickly, you might resort to uh, uh, the, the nine-point bomb. Fabric changer Riles, cross. A- Anthony Rocker, come on down. Zuper uh, duper goals, I think they called them oh, back in AFLX. No, let's not go there. Jeez, but, wasn't but, there's but, some fond memories at Hindmarsh Stadium for our AFLX game, but <laughs> we, we won't go back there. The other one was starting positions. Again, I see that as a fabric changer, mm. cross from me. Yeah. Um, I think if you go to 16 v 16, it becomes redundant very quickly. Um, I th- so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a no to starting positions. And it's just a pain in the, pain in the ass to... To officiate. To officiate, absolutely. So Imagine the petty free, free, free kicks that would be paid yeah. would or drive just, us all mad. We wouldn't know why at the time. Yeah, just waiting, just going, yeah. oh, wait, back, back inside 50, yeah. back inside... So there's 30 seconds gone. You're like, no. Nah. No to starting positions. I think if you did 16 v 16 and team prior up, the game would flourish. Yeah, yeah. All right. Food for thought. That's it. Nick McNeck. Get Clarko to ring Gill and say 16 on 16. You'll have it in next week, mate. <laughs> Sounds like it, doesn't it? Could be. Well, might just have to drop a little line to Clarko and make sure we're in the same page. Which brings us to our next topic, gentlemen. Communication with head office, you've spoken about it there, that you've had plenty of communication this week by various channels relating to uh, Clarko's holding the ball rants. Uh, what other things have you noticed about communications with head office of late? Well, I think it's, a, it's a, probably a symptom of, of the COVID crisis and, and the world we live in at the moment. But unfortunately, we're finding out a lot of key information via via Twitter and via the news services at the moment. I, I know everyone's under the pump, but, um, yeah, we're, we're keeping a, a keen eye on Twitter because a lot of news is breaking via, the I guess, the key news services before it even gets to the footy department, which is disappointing. Um, and I'm keen to hear from Riles as the, the media guru as to why and how this is happening um, and whether it's inevitable or whether it's something that's... That's, I guess, orchestrated. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's tough for us because we're dealing with players and players' families, particularly around such big decisions as hubs and being away from your families for five weeks and you're getting calls and texts saying, is this true? Are we going away for five weeks? Are we going to Perth? And we sometimes haven't got the information from the AFL yet, so we're, we're kind of in limbo a bit there. Um, and, for example, like the the... First, we heard from an AFL official that we were going to going to Perth was on the Channel Seven News. So, little things like that—they're they're hard to manage, and it's hard to kind of be kind of 
in the trust of your playing group when you when you can't share the information they're getting it via the media. So it's been a tough one to manage, but I think the more it's happened, the more our guys are understanding now. They know we're fully transparent when we do get the information. We don't operate in half truths. We we wait for the full gamut of information to come before mm. we speak to our players. But geez, it's been a, a tough period just with information flow roles yeah. um, across all different channels. But yeah, keen to get your thoughts on on how and why and what can we do about it. I think there's probably a few things at play there. Um, I think um, the the broadcast partners of the game um, have probably asked for a few more favours um, for their for their continuing support, and I think headquarters has probably been sympathetic to that idea. So, um, it, it, you know, the, the, this idea that suddenly we're all in it together and we're all going to help each other if you are in fact part of the football family, um, I think has led to. Uh, um, Seven asking for and receiving more cooperation, perhaps from headquarters and, in fact, the clubs themselves to an extent. Um, some of that's good. Some of it is extremely frustrating. Uh, I think the AFL also like to road test ideas. I don't think there's any doubt they've done it for a long time. It's an old practice of floating ideas and, and leaking them to run them up the flagpole, if you like, and, and uh, get a sense of how they might play out. Uh, you can always back away from it. If it goes badly, if you haven't officially announced it, what, what do you mean? We, we never came out and said that. So you can step back from an idea that it hasn't been particularly well thought through or has, has uh, got a hostile reaction. And I, I think there's also, um, frankly, I think there's a distrust of the clubs that they would rather get the message out to the media uh, directly from headquarters to the media than give it to the clubs and then the clubs themselves are guilty of this, by the way, of then leaking to the media with their own interpretation of what, what is coming and the AFL being very frustrated by, potentially before even an announcement that they're about to make has been made, hostile reaction to it, um, it, it being, being the, the opportunity being blown by, by clubs that uh, for their own reasons want to leak the story or, or, or put their own spin on it. So I think all of those things combined have created a... Uh, environment where um, it, we're going to we better get used to it I, I, I'm not I'm not sure it's um, it's ever going to return to the sort of the formalities of announcement to club to, to president to CEO to football department and then out to the public more generally through the media I, I'm not sure that's ever going to return um, yeah, and at times it's a murky business I, I mean I've got a small very small uh, example of it that you know, our, our um, thousands of listeners may be... Um, may tens be, of thousands, Riles. Sorry, tens of thousands. Um, you know, it might in, uh, illustrate the point. Millions. Had a, had a call from a... Uh, this is probably five or six weeks ago, potentially. Uh, had a call from uh, a newspaper, a photographer from that newspaper, asking for if they could set up a picture of Trent Cochin and Scott Pendlebury. In normal times, you understand why, but at the time, the game had not resumed and no one knew who was going to, well, not many people knew, who was going to open the season upon its resumption. Well, we didn't know, Riles. We didn't know. We'd, it had been speculated, but uh, we were waiting official notice. Um, and I said, well, you, you know, playing the game, why would you want that photograph? 
And the uh, reply was, well, uh, I think you might be, uh, you know, sort of opening the season on that, on the first night, on the Thursday. I said, well, have you got confirmation of that? Because we don't. I said, well, no, but, uh, well, yes. <laughs> and so, uh, and I think it was still, uh, and I said, well, when you get confirmation, come back to me. And, uh, well, sorry, when we have confirmation, come back to me. Um, and, of course, it played out exactly as it had been put to me in the first place and uh, they came back to me in a week's time. Well, that's the thing. Most of the time they're 100% right, which, um, yeah. as you said, might be conditioning the public. But well, like we're, we're not kind of immune from this as well. I think clubs are historically poor at leaking information as well, so totally get that part of it and that's where you just got to trust your, trust your staff to make sure things don't leak. But, um, yeah, it's it's... It's the world we live in now, Rolls. I think we we just got to, in Gil's words, be agile and nimble to information, particularly at this time, and um, economical, and not get too carried away with inf- information. The, <laughs> yeah, not not knowing or, or being second to second to the ball with with these kind of things. You just got to deal with the facts and and move forward. I think if you if you start operating in the grey, your players pick up on it pretty quick. So I think that's what we've been really mindful of is to get the concrete information and mm. communicate that because things move so quickly. But it is the world we live in now and whatever way we get the info, we'll, we'll navigate it as best we can. It's just sometimes frustrating when when you hear it first through the Twitter sphere rather than rather than from the authorities. Yeah, if, if your organisation's not strong, I think it, it, it opens up possibility or, or the, the thought amongst players and staff at clubs that we're not in control here. You know, what, what, how is it the world knows and we don't and we're the ones that, that are actually involved in it and need to respond in some way, need to either shift out of our houses at a few hours' notice or shift to Perth for a few, few weeks, which is all fine. We all understand that's... that's and, and, uh, but if, if you're being told by people outside the club who can't confirm it to you, You've got to wonder, I'm sure you must wonder, how is that so? And are the people that I'm working with, are they, are they good at what they do? Are they, you know, and, and I think that's unfair. As long as they're making more right decisions and the actual, it doesn't matter whether it's leaked, but if it's the right decision or it's done in the right, best interest of the people and whatnot, mm. as long as that's right, you can get by with leaks, but sometimes when you're not consulted or you're not part of the process, that's when you start getting frustrated. But, yeah. Let's hope we get more right decisions over the next next period of time because we're mm. going to need them. Indeed. Very good. Just a little note from me, Vargs. Love your work. But I reckon as a challenge on this podcast, we could go through the rest of the season without saying the word agile again. <laughs> Except when we're talking about Riles doing Pilates. <laughs> In Lycra. If there's one word I'd like to blow up, it's agile. <laughs> Let's make sure it's a pact. Is it agreed, boys? It's a pact. Except no more mention of the A word. Okay, done. The A word is gone. The A done. word's gone. Done. Oh, that's made my day. Excellent. Now, to, uh, to a new segment this week, I think, just to add a little colour and life to this fine podcast. Riles, this is uh, your idea, I believe, to uh, have a sports book of the week, a recommendation from uh, you two learned gentlemen or one of you each week. Uh, a sports book that our millions of fans can uh, can go down to the local library or the local bookshop and uh, and grab a copy and have a read and learn something about the world of sport. Riles, do you want to kick us off with this one? 
Uh, yes, I, I will. Um, I'm sure we're, there's plenty of suggestions. There's millions of them, but um, not so many good ones, let alone great ones. And uh, maybe I'll kick off this uh, this segment, which is uh, I've got to say is not an original idea, by the way. But Riles's reads is that a good one? <laughs> no, I'm I'm going to launch with the Book of Fame, which. Um, I've, is a highlight read um, for me. It's written by a, a Kiwi by the name of Lloyd Jones. And uh, it is about the origins of the all black, all black myth. And it's this idea that it's a, it, fundamentally it's about uh, the first trip that the Kiwi rugby team took to the UK. Uh, at the turn of the last century, and there was no, I, there, there was no, uh, the all black myth didn't exist at that time. Um, um, it was just a bunch of Kiwis and a humble Kiwis, and, and he's written this book in a beautiful way, so that he sets the scene with a, with a cast of characters and their cobblers and their potato farmers and their sheep farmers. These are people who worked for a living, worked hard for a living, and they just happened to play rugby and. A bunch of them go off and, of course, they have to sail in those times. They sail off to the UK and they have to go via South America and they share this journey and the journey itself is fabulous, um, is, is captured brilliantly and uh, they get to the UK and they dominate in a way that no team has ever dominated before or had dominated to that point. And so the start of the... The, the All Blacks being this, this um, incredible team and, and it's not only what the fact that they win, they win by a lot, but they play with this enterprise and this adventure that at, at various points of the tour, people accuse, of being, accuse them of being cheats, that this is not rugby. You shouldn't be allowed to play it like this. And in fact, parts of, the, parts of their, their, their adventure style was designed on the boat on the way to South America where they get 15 pumpkins and they're looking at setting up what they want to do and someone says well if we move one over there doesn't that mean we've got space to run into and so it, it, it leads them inspires them to think about the game anew and then but they go over there and they're humble humble people no idea about what they're creating they go over there because and of course none of them are alive today but now the all blacks you know, are considered one of the greatest sports teams in the world and have been for decades. And there's this history and this great um, uh, that sits behind them. And, and this guy has tried to trace that history all the way back to, to, to day one. And um, it, it's not a hit, run, catch sports book. It's not full of kapow, you know, sort of moments. It's very subtle. Um, and, and as the title says, it's about this idea of fame can be created out of um, the most humble of ingredients. These people who just love the game, um, and they and most of them went home to their sheep farms, into their bakery stores, and and picking spuds, and and still not really knowing what they'd created. Um, so it's a bit different. It's a wonderful, wonderful book, the Book of Fame by Lloyd Jones. I'll jump on board, Riles, because I haven't read that one, and I do like a good sports book. On on that, Riles, I guess half of Half of a good sports book is the information, but half is clearly the, the ability to create a story and the storytelling mm. component. Yeah, um, we'll delve in a bit more, I guess, as we go forward. But who, in your time, is the best storyteller 
in the AFL and is storytelling something that's gone out of the writing of more so journos these days when they're describing a game of footy? Is it just purely fact and have we lost that kind of art of storytelling? I, I, I think day to day we have because it's just not the time. You're not afforded the time to think deeply, you know, ruminate on for hours on what you're going to write and say and, and think about what does this mean. You've just got to get it out. So I've got great sympathy for some very talented writers of today who just don't have the luxury of time. But um, and, and certainly uh, when I uh, started my career in newspapers, we would cover a, a game one day and have all day the next to write about it. And, and that, that period... Um, uh, allowed someone like Martin Flanagan to become the great, the first great literary figure of Australian football, in my opinion. Um, and he wrote, uh, he's written a lot of books, um, not all of them about sport, um, but one of them, uh, many of them uh, are about sport, but one in particular was 1970 and other stories, which is uh, about, not just about the 1970 grand final between Collingwood and Carlton, which is considered a, 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 well, a pivotal moment in the history of the game because Carlton well down, about seven goals down at half time, um, are exhorted by their coach, Ron Barassi, to use handball in a way that it hadn't been used before. And now, if you look back on it, they don't actually handball all that much, but by the standards of the time they did, and they famously win the game, and to, you know, uh, and, and, but what, Martin explores in that book is not only that but the aftermath and what the legacy it left for um, Collingwood, all those involved with Collingwood, that Collingwood team at the time, how it, it haunt, haunts them, haunted them then and haunts them now, a lot of them, that this opportunity, their, their moment to become premiership players was lost and, 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 and I think it's acknowledged that they had the best team of the year. They had this awesome team that and, and they were dominating um, that that game, half-time it's over, no one could, could see any other result than a Collingwood Premiership and, and they lose. And he captures brilliantly the, 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 yeah, the, the sort of the ghosts of that, that defeat in some of the players. He talks to lots of them and has their accounts and uh, that, that is a great, a, a great sports book but a great Australian rules sports book. Excellent. Great start to the segment. Vargs, you're up next week. Oh, here we go. I might simplify it down, get some kids' books in. Specky McGee might, <laughs> might get a run. Nick Maxwell's, Nick Maxwell's no, book. No, Max, Maxie's book's the uh, fire starter for the fire pit in the backyard, so <laughs> it lights up well. Don't know if it reads well. And just on 1970, we do have some plans uh, with our Collingwood Footy Club historian Michael Roberts to celebrate the 1970 team 50 years on on the uh, club website this year, which I think will be a great thing to do because that team does deserve to be celebrated given uh, how great a team they were. Well, that, there, there's no question that they, they, they had a role to play, albeit one that they, <laughs> they're, they're, they're not happy to accept. But uh, as it, it's, a, it's a historic moment in the games, in the, in the evolution of the game. You know, there's probably been a handful of them across the 150 years that it's been played and, and that is one of them and those those players were involved in that. Um, yeah, it's worth, it is worth acknowledging their role in, in, in that game and in that period in the club's history. It's, it's the, the Collie Wobbles was, was confirmed uh, 
You know, that's sort of in a way where, it, it, well, it was confirmed by that, that, that match. I think my dad would have stopped listening to the podcast when you uh, mentioned the 1970 grand final. I think he's still got scars about it as well. Mm. Well, let's ban that too with um, ban 1970 from here on in with the <laughs> A word. Got to keep the dad listening. <laughs> right, so we're just about done, boys. Now, uh, before we go, have either of you got a little anecdote you might want to share with the listeners uh, before we head off for the weekend? Uh, I'll jump in there, but I'll, I will allow Wags to, uh, well, I'll ask Wags to um, complete it. We, it was um, just a, um, a small moment where we were about to fly back from Sydney last weekend, last Saturday around lunchtime or late morning it was, and uh, because we were on sort of charter flights and we were, we were at, um, uh, on an airbase and we, were, we had to walk out onto the tarmac and walk onto the plane and just before we, um, we walked up the stairs onto the, onto the plane, um, the, the entire group and staff, uh, playing, playing group and staff were all brought together on the tarmac and it was to acknowledge Jeremy Howe, um, who was doing it very tough at that time. He was on crutches. Uh, I don't think he'd had much sleep um, due to the, the pain of his injury and, um, and, and small, small time was taken to acknowledge him and uh, uh, Buck spoke to the group and then um, and spoke more generally about um, the, the warmth and the camaraderie that exists and, and why it was important and he knew that we would, everyone would look after Howie. But uh, Wags, you were also a witness to that. It was, um, not, I, I wouldn't call it a significant moment, but it was just one of those touching inner moments where you think there's something good going on here. Those, those moments are quite regular for our, for our footy program these days. I think we love Howie. We're a very connected group. We kind of ride the ups and downs of each other and, and to see Howie go down broke everyone's heart. Mm. Uh, we were all shattered after the game, um, more so for Howie. Obviously, we're really disappointed we lost the game. But when you walk into the medical room, you see Howie lying on the, lying on the, the bed in there. You, just, you get a quick taste of perspective and reality straight away and that that centers you really quickly and I think the boys just rallied around mm-hmm. Howie um, I think yeah Buck spoke beautifully about about our connection and yeah it's just a nice touch it's pity the old mate virgin pilot turned the engines on so got, got <laughs> drowned out a little bit from being on the tarmac but um, I mean we'll talk about the whole experience of the the uh, traveling uh, under isolation, that was that's a story in itself. But no, it was, it was a fantastic moment. And I think um, we'll all still continue to support Howie. And but yeah, now it's the responsibility of the boys to now the best way you can support him is by going out and performing. So I know the guys are, are itching to to jump in this week, and and the guys who will cover for Howie is an irreplaceable player. So we'll do it a different way um, this week without Howie. But we, we are really confident in our list, and we'll remain connected. We'll continue to support each other, and and go and get him. And uh, this podcast is recorded on uh, Thursdays, or this 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 episode is. And uh, Jeremy Howe was going under the knife today, so shout out to him. And let's hope that uh, avid listener Howie. Well, he would be. He's a learned learned man. He is, and if he isn't, then <laughs> he can go cut up his other knee as well while, while they're at it. So he's going to jump on board. <laughs> All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Outstanding work. Another magnificent episode of the Inside Swoop. 
Don't forget you can find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, all the finest podcasting platforms. Uh, subscribe to us, like us, give us a review, do all that and more. Go the pies against the bombers. And that's all for this week's episode of the Inside Swoop. Thank you to Riles and Vargs, and we'll catch you next week.